Luke Ventura. At your feet. Who's Luke Ventura? Luke, how can you be happy sleeping with every woman you meet? I don't know, but I am. <laughs> I know you've been told this before, but you have the instep of a movie star. Really? Hey, Al, meet Tawny. Al's married. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Luke Ventura? Oh, some guy used to work with me over at Gary's Shoes. He was always sucking up to the boss and brown-nosing. He worked overtime, he was polite to the customers, and he actually sold a shoe from time to time. <laughs> you once, once, three times a leader. <laughs> See, I told you, you could dance in these shoes. Uh, well, I'll take them. Look, what are you doing? Selling shoes, man. You work on commission, you go the extra mile. And that, my friend, is the extra mile. <laughs> yeah, she must have been something 1,500 years ago. Hey, Al, let me ask you a question. If you came home at night and found your wife in bed with another guy, would you get mad? I'd kill him. Oh. So I guess this guy didn't overreact. <laughs> Luke, you're here. Look, everybody, it's Luke, and he doesn't have a present, but we're not going to hold it against him, are we? Hey, I'd have to be a pretty big piece of scum not to bring a present. <laughs> well, I can't believe you live in a building where all your neighbors are stewardesses. I used to live in a building with a lot of married people. Sure, the sex was great during the day, but it got lonely at night. <laughs> hey, you know what else is great about me? Day Luke Ventura can't help a friend, that's the day he's got something better to do. <laughs> Who's Luke Ventura? Everyone comes to the answer, man. Hi, this is Rich Scheidner, Al Bundy's co-worker at the shoe store, Luke Ventura. And you're listening on the Married with Children podcast. Like, there's some other way you get this information. There's no other way. Keep listening. Let's rock. I get a open. No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Married with Children fans worldwide. Welcome today to yet another special edition of the Married with Children podcast. We have the utmost honor and privilege of interviewing an actor who was there at the very beginning of Married with Children and played Al's original sidekick in the shoot's store. We were introduced to his character Luke Ventura in the pilot episode of Married with Children on April 5th, 1987, and he is forever in our fans' hearts as the guy in the shoe store we all aspired to be. He was our season one wonder, and here he is with us today in the nudie bar, the OG himself, Mr. Rich Scheidner. There you go, and here I am. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, it's really an honor to have you on. Our podcast founder, Alex, he had actually wanted to interview you, 
Uh, he was going to do the interview, but uh, it's his 10th wedding anniversary, and he's down the Jersey Shore right now. Yeah, so the thing is, uh, if he wants to stay married, fortunately, he couldn't do the interview for you, right? <laughs> so, Rich, we really want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk to us and our listeners. And the last time your Married with Children fans saw you on screen was in Season 1, Episode 10, on June 7, 1987, in the episode entitled Al Loses His Cherry, which was your signature episode. Yeah, it was a good one to go out on. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, I think that the last frame of you with Jerry Hall uh, is always, uh, you know, in, embedded in my brain. Hey, guys, you want to make a movie? <laughs> well, that was a lot of fun with her. You know, we'd go behind the, the room. My apartment was just a, a wall, you know, just a fake wall. And we'd walk into the bedroom there and um, wait for them to yell, cut or for rehearsal or whatever. And she always was conversational. And one day we slipped behind there, closed the door, and she goes, I bet you're a Rolling Stone fan, aren't you? She was married to Mick Jagger at the time. I said, well, of course. She goes, well, that Mick's a cheap son of a bitch. I want you to know that right now. He's a cheap son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so to our fans, is a little bit about Rich. He's originally from Pennsville, New Jersey. He has made numerous guest appearances on late night TV as a comic since 1979. Besides playing Luke Ventura, he has worked as a writer and producer, and he has appeared in such things as Designing Women, Roseanne, and some feature films as Beverly Hills Cop 2. You've written for Roseanne, The Jeff Foxworthy Show, and HBO's The Mind of the Married Man. And he's also an author. In 2006, he compiled stories of comedians on the road for a book entitled I Killed, True Stories of the Road from America's Top Comics, which he co-wrote with Mark Schiff. And more recently, in 2017, he authored Kicking Through the Ashes, My Life as a Stand-Up in the 1980s Comedy Boom. And he has been described as an incredibly funny observational comedian by the likes of Jay Leno, Jerry Seinfeld, Jeff Foxworthy, and Bill Maher. So thank you so much, Rich. Thanks. That's a nice intro. <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, again, you know, you're from down South Jersey. Uh, like, you know, where you're from, where you went to school, and how you got into your career in comedy. Pennsville, New Jersey. It's right by the Delaware Memorial Bridge on the Delaware River, right across from Wilmington, Delaware. And a small town, everybody worked at DuPont. It was the largest chemical factory in the world there. So most everybody I know, their dads worked at DuPont. Uh, my dad didn't. He had a little business, a little uh, insurance agency. And he was a funny guy. He loved comedy, and I think that's where I got it from. He was funny himself. He used to go out to see comedians live. He, he saw Red Fox live and Moms Mabley and Bob Newhart and, and Don Rickles. He just he would go see comics live. He loved it. So I grew up not thinking about any sort of showbiz aspirations. I had no idea. Nobody in my family did it. I, had no, I went to Gettysburg College. I didn't know what I was going to do. I thought I couldn't go back and work with my dad at that agency because that would have been somebody would have gotten a murder charge there. <laughs> But I went to law school, so I went to uh, Washington, D.C. It was an international school of law and lawnmower repair. They wanted you to have a side business in case you didn't pass the bar. It was not an accredited school when I got there. Then it became George Mason University, an accredited law school. But I just fell in love with doing stand-up in my second year of law school, and I just became obsessed with it. So uh, instead of going home and defending my family members in court, I went in, uh, to New York City and started doing stand-up in 1979. Wow. So that was it. And I was on my way. 
I'm uh, proud to say that uh, of Salem County, New Jersey, I am the second most famous individual from that county as recorded. Somebody sent me this list of all the counties that like the three most famous people from that county. And uh, Bruce Willis is the most famous. I'm second. And there's a, uh, I think, a National League hockey player third. So I edged him out for number two. Oh, that's pretty neat. <laughs> <laughs> the county's the, the most least populated. It's the least populated county in the state. So I picked the right one for me. Yeah, yeah that's that's pretty neat. I, I I can't even be the in the top five in my own zip code. I've got a bunch. Of, <laughs> I've got a bunch of people that live around me. I, well, I live just north of Houston, but uh, Simone Biles, a world famous gymnast, lives about a half a mile from me. <laughs> ah, there so, you go. Right. There you go. Well, I mean, you just taught me something about Salem County, <laughs> so thanks for that. <laughs> so you went to law school, so I guess maybe that explains a little bit about how you're a writer, because generally, you know, you need to be a good writer, I think, if you have that type of training. So so you go from stand-up comedy to writing. Like, how did that progress? Well, I always thought I was a better writer than a performer. I think, you know, stand-up comedy requires both you to have material, and most comics will write their own material today. It's sort of like singer-songwriters. The comic is performing, the audience wants to think that the comics thought of all the jokes or the material. I always thought I was a better writer than a performer. I always enjoyed the writing, but obviously, you know, I got tired of, uh, I literally was bartending and I would write things and I would come in and show people at the bar what I'd written to try to get a reaction because I had no way of getting any kind of feedback for what I was writing. This is back when I got out of college. I had no no idea how to, to go about getting published or anything. And you know, you, you, you give it to somebody who's there at the bar just to have a couple of drinks and possibly hook up with a woman. And, I, and I'd be standing there watching him. I go, we didn't laugh at that. That was funny. What I, you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm like, I'm like watching them read, you know, <laughs> bugging them. So it was, it, was, uh, it was natural. I had to go on stage to find out whether my ideas were any good or not. Well, that, that's awesome. And you know, I'm, you know, in researching you, you know, we've seen some of your stand up routines there's some on youtube uh thought you're pretty funny so maybe a little too hard on yourself no 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 i mean i i'm just telling you how i got into doing it that was back in before i got into doing stand-up obviously look i made i made a living i mean i paid my bills i paid taxes i raised kids i I made a living doing this stand-up and writing and also it worked out i'm not i'm not putting myself down it's just it's it's an odd it's an odd turn what forces you to go or, or pushes you to a stage or pulls you on stage. For me, it was like, I couldn't get, I couldn't get any feedback on my ideas. I, I went on stage to see if I, they were funny or not. And then in the process became a standup comic. That's an interesting journey. And I'll give you credit. That's a good idea. You know, testing your writing at, at bars and such. Cause when you think about it, you know, when people go out to bars they're looking to have a good time and, you know, whenever, <laughs> well, you know, when people go to comedy clubs, generally speaking, they're going to be drinking when they're at the comedy club anyway. So a bar is a hell of a place to do a litmus test. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they want to go out and have a good time. But reading is not an equation, especially the bar that I was bartending in. That was not a, it was not a library adjacent bar. <laughs> It wasn't a bar slash library. <laughs> no, 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 no. Bikers, guys, construction workers at the. They were building this nuclear plant and uh, artificial island. That's the guys who were in, in this bar. So no, nobody's going like, "Hey, I'm coming in. I like to have a couple of drinks and hand me that Proust over there." I want to. You got? Do you have any Dickens? Any Dickens? On the- <laughs> <laughs> have any Shakespeare while we're here? Anything? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's great. So you began your career in 1979. 
December 1986, you're, uh, you're shooting a pilot for Married with Children. So, I mean, how did you find out about that? How did you get onto the show? Well, back in my in my generation, I'm just talking about my generation. In my generation, that was a, a purposeful stutter there. The, I was doing a little bit of the Who song, my generation. So in my generation, you, you had to get on the sitcom. I mean, to, be, to make that next leap up, it was very difficult to see how you were going to get a fan base or what you're going to do. So everybody took acting classes, and, and I was auditioning for shows. I auditioned for, I think it was right before this, I auditioned for the, you know, the and coach, the, the, the actor who played the coach on Cheers died. So they were looking to replace him to, to work on the sitcom Cheers. So it came down to network. When they say you're going to network, that means it's, it's down to the last three people. They're going to decide with the network in the room of the producers before you're auditioning constantly in front of the producers, just the producers. And then finally, they bring in the network for the final decision. So for the Cheers one, it was Woody Harrelson, obviously, and a guy, Timothy Threadgill, who became a guy known in a documentary called Grizzly Man. And he was a young actor. And then me, the three of us, there were three blondes. They were looking for somebody to play stupid on the show, right? Play, be a dumb character. So there was an East Coast blonde. That was me. There was a Midwest blonde. That was Woody Harrelson. Then there was a West Coast blonde. That was this guy, Timothy Threadgill. And so I didn't get that. And then we go into this new network i mean it wasn't fox wasn't on it was a it was they go you're going to be on you're auditioning for this show on a new network fox and um it's a sitcom so you're just doing them you're doing a lot of auditions for movies and sitcoms all the time and then i get down they go okay you're going down to again network so the three of us three actors are sitting in a hallway over at the gower studios i think that's where the audition was so we're sitting there, and then Michael Moy and Ron Levitt, the creators of Married with Children, come walking in down the hallway. They come walking down the hallway. The actor across me jumps up and goes and hugs Michael Moy. And Michael's like, you're going to love Ali. They're obviously buddies. He said, my wife's got your room ready. I hang, hang out, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're like having a reunion there in the hallway. So I'm like, well, this is over. <laughs> This is in the bag, man. This guy's got the role. What are we doing here? I'm like ready to leave. The other actor crossed me. He looks like Lee Harvey Oswald after he got shot by Ruby. <laughs> he's you know, he's just stunned. He just slumped over to his seat. You know, he's toast. He's done. And uh, literally, I'm, I'm getting up to leave. And, you know, the assistant comes out and says, Rich, you're first. So I walked in not caring. It was probably the best audition I ever had because I didn't care. I didn't think it was possible to get the role, and I made fun of everything. I made fun of the fact there was no network yet. I, I you know, I was looking for. I said this is some sort of new candid camera, sort of. You know, I, I just made fun of everything, and uh, <laughs> and I was loose. I was could not be funnier in the room. You know what I mean? And I was on the, later on the other side of that equation where I'd be the producer sitting in a room casting people for shows, and I realized all you ever want is somebody to come in and take over the room. You want an actor to come in and just take over the room, dominate you and the other, you know, be fearless. Exactly what I'd done. So later, I get the role. Yeah. Mind if I go to lunch? You just came from lunch. Yeah, technically. But biologically, I was in bed with some broad. <laughs> Luke, how can you be happy sleeping with every woman you meet? I don't know, but I am. <laughs> I'll tell you, as your friend, I can't wait till you get married. 
Yeah, a wife and kids who adore you. A wife, kids, the list goes on and on. <laughs> it's just seeing their faces light up in the morning when they see you. They can't do enough for you. It's heaven on earth. No, Al, that is. <laughs> Luke Ventura, at your feet. And of course, when I got the role, I actually lost the role. And you know that story. Well, you know, there's a lot of rumors out there. So I guess, you know, since we, since we have you, you know, you're the horse's mouth. You know, we'll hear it directly from the horse's mouth. What happened from your perspective? My, from my perspective, you see, there's only four episodes I was on. Correct. I was contracted for 7 of 13, the first 13. And everybody told me, this is a big role. My agents, manager, everybody's like, this is a big role. It's, it's you know, you're going to be funny. You're going to help. You know, it's a great character to torment. Ed O'Neill's character, Al Bundy, because he's married and stuck in a, you know, a sexless marriage. And you're doing nothing but that, right? With different women. And you're, you're having a blast being wild and free. Mm-hmm. And he's shackled. So it's going to be a great character. You're going to be on this show forever. And you're going to get a lot of episodes, blah, blah, blah. Well, the... <laughs> At certain point, you know, every every week, and I and I, again, you have me down as four. I thought I did like seven. I thought I did the seven, but I probably only did four of the seven. But whatever week it was, the tenth one or whatever, that my seven were up. They paid me for seven of the thirteen. Every Friday you get the script, and then Monday you do the table read. Well, one Friday I don't get a script, you know, delivered to my house. I call my agent. I didn't get the script. He said oh, that's a delivery problem. I'll take care. of he calls you back like a half hour later. He goes, no, it's worse than that. You got fired. You're done. All right. That's how you find out in Hollywood. You know, I never was explained. That. Nothing was explained to me. But I knew, and this is, look, and I'm well past this, but this is the fact of it. Michael Moy was up my butt from day one on that show. I mean, he did not like me. I got it. He was always criticizing me. Ed would go, come up to me after a table read. Michael Moy just come over and goes, you're, you're, you're killing us, man. You're killing us here. Right. And I'd be like, man, I, I thought people were laughing. I heard people laughing. And Ed would come over and he goes, that's that's bull. That's just bull. You're, you're doing great. And so that's all I knew until uh, they dropped my character. Now, I kind of knew at the time I thought I probably dropped my character. It might have something to do with I beat out the guy's friend for the role. Right. I mean, that might have something to do with it, but I never really knew. And nobody had said anything to me. So you just let it go. You, you keep moving. I was moving on anyway. I was doing other things and you just move on. My f- ex-wife, Kay, had become friends with Sharon Levitt. So we'd go out to their Malibu home a lot for barbecues or parties, whatever. They invite us out. And one time we were out there at a barbecue and it was just the four of us, Ron, Sharon, my wife and I. And Sharon says, Ron, you got to tell him you've got to tell him, stop with, you know, tell him, let him know. So Ron said, let's take a walk. So we walked on the beach. He said, look, he said, I got to tell you, you know, you know what happened there. He said, as soon as you got that role, Michael Moy wanted it out of the show. He wanted that character out of the show. He would, he is not used so much. He just, it was his buddy's role. He, we'd written it for his buddy, supposed to be his role. And Fox wanted you. Fox forced them to take me over his buddy. And he said, I was fighting so many fires with him week after week, you know, try to get this show going and make it a success that I couldn't keep fighting him over that role. So finally, I just went, all right, you know, drop it. You know, I mean, this went on for like 10 weeks or whatever. And he said, I can't, I, we're, we weren't a hit at first. And they weren't, you know that. They weren't a hit out of the box. And um, 
they're struggling and they're trying to make a show work on a new network and and uh and he couldn't keep fighting over that role so he let him kill the role and that was me and that was it wow okay that was one of the rumors but again we've spoken to some people and we found that rumors not all rumors are true so at least we hear it directly from you right. now because you know i mean from our perspective we're like super fans of the show. So you have to imagine we've watched probably every single episode of the series 50 plus times you know, <laughs> over the course of the last 30 years. Yeah. Annabelle, who's our Australian super fan, at least 100. Wow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She can tell you where the part on your hair was and makeup from, from, <laughs> from that. She's that good. But in the unaired pilot, so that was with the other two kids. Right, you, right. Your name appears on the opening credits. I know. I know. You know, so so the thing is from our perspective, the way we looked at it was like you were supposed to have been a central character. Right. And then and then you weren't. I mean, I think the most strange thing was your signature episode, like I said in the intro, was your last appearance, which was episode ten. Al loses his cherry, because like that that pretty much was your episode. I mean, you appeared obviously in the pilot. You had a couple of lines in your second appearance, which was Thinergy. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. If you came home at night and found your wife in bed with another guy, would you get mad? I'd kill him. Oh. So I guess this guy didn't overreact. <laughs> you look a little peeking out, babe. All night romp with a little lady? More or less. She's been yelling at me since 1 o'clock this morning. And she's on some stupid diet. I guess it makes him moody. Well, I can't sympathize. There's a shot. <laughs> yep. See, I can eat whatever I want and never gain a pound. My body's great. I can abuse it. It keeps coming back for more. <laughs> hey, you know what else is great about me? Shut up. Can someone help me, please? Yes, miss. The modeling agency's a few doors down. Oh, no, I, I'm not a model. I just need shoes. Oh, my mistake. <laughs> yeah. Sit right here. <laughs> Hey, guys, come here a second. Sandy's on her way to a job interview. She's a little self-conscious. Can you tell she's not wearing a bra? <laughs> and then you show up at the uh, anniversary party in 16 years, what you get. Ah, the door. Luke, you're here. Look, everybody, it's Luke, and he doesn't have a present, but we're not going to hold it against him, are we? Hey, I'd have to be a pretty big piece of scum not to bring a present. <laughs> Luke, you didn't have to bring a present. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I did. Al Peg hates me. <laughs> Thank you, Luke. But that was your uh, signature episode. Right. But interestingly, I'm just going to jump ahead to one question we had. In season nine of Married with Children, there's an episode called Pump Fiction. And in the opening lines of the episode, Al comes in and he talks about how uh, Luke Ventura is getting an award. He has like a newspaper, like you, the character is supposed to have been shoe salesman of the year. And there's your headshot on there. <laughs> Did you see the 
horrible news. Yeah, a 78 car pileup. No, not that news, shoe news. <laughs> shoe news is the only publication that reaches the entire shoe community. Well, that and Biggins. But look, Luke Ventura got his name and his picture in it. Who's Luke Ventura? Oh, some guy used to work with me over at Gary's Shoes. He was always sucking up to the boss and brown-nosing. He worked overtime, he was polite to the customers, and he actually sold a shoe from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> but look at the luck the SOB is having. Peg, that should be my picture in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, so the question is, I mean, A, were you aware of that? And B, like, did you get credit for that? Because, you know, obviously, you know, it's you. So, like, like what happened there? Well, nobody contacted me about doing it. It's not like I said, oh, I won't do the show or anything like that. No, I never heard about it until it was aired and somebody called me and told me about it. Obviously, at that, that point, I wasn't watching every show. So I knew nothing about it until it aired and uh, somebody told me about it. That's all. Interesting. Oh, that's a shame. I mean, that would have been cool, you know, just for especially for us super fans that have been watching from season one. That would have been great if they actually got you to appear in that episode in, in, in some form or fashion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can tell you what I, I I can tell you, Rich, watching that episode first run, what back that was probably about nineteen ninety four, nineteen ninety five. I remember like when when they showed your headshot, I was like, Oh my god, you know, we're gonna have Luke Ventura on this episode. I was all excited and then like, you know, nothing ever appeared. But I could have imagined you in that episode, you know, with some great dialogue, because you were effectively the successful one. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. You know, like I said, I I had no, you know, I, I just kind of moved on and I'd hear these things every once in a while. I, and and after that, that talk would run, I understood exactly what had happened. So it was like, OK, I get it. Well, it's a shame it ended like that. You know, we're we all loved your character, uh, Luke Ventura. You know, you <laughs> I think Luigi said, you know, you Luke Ventura is the type of guy that all of us aspire to be. <laughs> You're basically a, a, a playboy, pretty much. Like I said, it was a, in the concept of the character it was a great character for the show. Yeah, but the execution was I took the role from the guy that Michael Moy had wanted to have do that character, so I got it. Yeah. Overall, I guess Married with Children notwithstanding, things worked out for you uh, well afterwards. I'm fine. You know, still every once in a while I get a little check. Every once in a while I get a little check from him. So over the years, no, I did not get. The checks Ed O'Neill got, but I got little checks here and there. Yeah, definitely. Well, one thing I'll add to what Luigi was saying there, you know, as we established, your your character was originally supposed to be uh, more integral to the to the show itself. Uh, we actually have a um, a cast photo that was taken in season one, and and you're in it. Have you ever seen that photo? Yes, I have. I mean, I, people over the years have sent me so many photos that I never saw. From the show, you know, because obviously they had a photographer and said, I remember that. I remember that. That, that Look, I had a great time doing it. Ed O'Neill, I can't say enough about the guy. Mm -hmm. He's a solid, a good guy, fun to work with. Katie, I knew before the show. I actually knew her outside of the show. They were great. The two kids were great. I've gotten to know David Faustino a little bit more since the show was on than then. And you're right. They were replaced. I can't remember who two kids were but my feeling of also, I think that I, I kind of have this, 
memory. And again, I don't know if it's right or not, but I have a memory of when we came back from, they, they reshot the pilot with Christina and David. And then when we came back, Christina sort of had grown more womanly. Let's put it that way. Hey, Al, your daughter's really blossomed. (laughs) (laughs) And when she came out, the reaction from the guys in the crowd, I had a feeling they went, this is going to be more important than anything else. I don't think they started with thinking about the shoe salesman guy anymore. I thought they thought, we have a gold mine right here, (laughs) right, with this character and the jailbait aspect. And I right. think that there's also part of it. I don't think that anything is all or nothing, right? Sure. But I think that that was also a factor for the the direction the show went more at home than the, than the, than at the work. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I think you hit the nail right on the head there. You know, we one of the things that um, you know, you know, Luigi mentioned Alex, our founder. He handled the first handful of uh, seasons of this podcast before we took over. And one of the things that they would always talk about, you know, at the beginning of each season was, well, okay, uh, Christina Applegate is 18 now, so we can we can talk about her appearance, you know, or she's 19 now, so she's legally an adult. We can talk about her appearance now. (laughs) But you, you, you hit the nail right on the head there. You know, she was obviously she was a huge part of the show's success. (laughs) Well, we mentioned your final episode was your signature one. No doubt about it. It was your signature one. Al loses his cherry. Uh, it's the episode that you're at your apartment with Al Bundy and with Ed O'Neill. And uh, you've got the stewardesses there. I think for most of us, that's probably our favorite uh, episode or scene of your uh, for Luke Ventura. Of your four appearances, what's your favorite episode or scene? No, there's no question it was the cherry sisters. I mean, people will actually come up and tell me about that episode. Luke, you know, Sherry and I were just talking, and I really need a man's opinion. Okay. Come sit on my lap. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to do. My boyfriend wants to move in with me, but he still wants to see other people. Let me tell you something. You don't let him move in unless he's willing to make a commitment. Thanks, Luke. So you want to go in the bedroom? (laughs) Sure, as long as I'm here. (laughs) Everyone comes to the answer, man. (laughs) You're once, twice, three times a week. And of course, I tell him the Jerry Hall story, but also it was it was funny to me. The, I think part of the funniest thing to me was having the little airplane size liquor bottles. Fight <laughs> yeah. yep. That was a great touch. I always thought that was a great touch. You want a drink? Yeah. Uh, got some scotch? I got everything. <laughs> One of the many benefits of living in a stew zoo. A deck of cards or a barf bag or something. But you know, having me like sort of like you know that was my little little kingdom. So there yeah. was a there was a fun to it. Here it is, Homer the big boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I can't believe you live in a building where all your neighbors are stewardesses. I used to live in a building with a lot of married people. Sure, the sex was great during the day, but it got lonely at night. And of course, Ed coming home with the blonde wig. It was a great closer. That show was very well written. Those guys, they're doing their anti-Cosby shtick. They, they couldn't have been better. They were so funny. And, and the show was funny. I mean, and then you had the really great performers. So, I mean, it, it had the quality, it had the mix. Look, I, I wish I'd been there for all 13 seasons. But but if I was the last episode of my four, that was the way to go. It, was, it gave me a nice swan song. Thank you. Ed O'Neill said in an interview that uh, that went that blonde wig, like in the final scene, yeah. putting it on Katie Segal's head, got the, he said it was like the, one of the biggest laughs in Hollywood. They had to cut it. We also had one of the longest laughs ever. I, I know that I think there was one really long in Jack Benny, and, uh, and there's been long ones, and I don't know if we held the record, but there was one where uh, I had a blonde wig that I wanted her to wear, and I, I said, put this on, and then I threw over my shoulder and ran her up the stairs. That got a tremendously long laugh, like minutes. So we had a lot of fun with that. It was huge. I mean, you know, like I've been on a lot of sets before I did Married with Children. I've been on sets. I've done warm up for different shows. And and since then, I've done Roseanne. I've done a lot of different shows, writing and performing. That really was one of those rock the house laughter. I mean, it was just huge, huge. And and of course, he he was so good in that role such and he because he really is a, 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 like he's a regular guy. He really. You know, he, you know, you know, he's a much better athlete than they portrayed him on the show. He really was a good athlete. You know, obviously he had a, he, he had, a, like he said, a cup of coffee with the Steelers. He tried out for the Steelers. They go, I said, hey, I, you tried out for the Steelers. I mean, that, that was like, that's, that's enough, man. Right. <laughs> but, right. But he, he was, he was just so good in that, you know, just the way he moved. Oh man. You felt like this guy had been, he'd just been beaten down. It was perfect. Absolutely. Hey, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know, Rich, uh, you know, we were talking about that episode with the, the stewardesses. I'm actually in real life. I'm a flight attendant <laughs> for my job. <laughs> and my profession. So that episode to me and, and Mary B. Children has a handful of episodes where stewardesses slash flight attendants are mentioned. And I always enjoy them. I, uh, I, always, <laughs> find the, I always find the stereotypes to be very funny. And, uh, you know, the scene you talked about where they opened up the cabinet and they had the mini liquor bottles. I always crack up during that, too. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Great touch. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, the profession is, has changed over the years, just like anything else. But uh, stereotypes do exist for a reason. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can vouch for them. <laughs> now, Rich, uh, another question for you. So besides Jerry Hall, you danced with Estelle Harris, who just recently passed away. Yeah, yeah. You once was three times a leader. <laughs> See, I told you, you could dance in these shoes. Uh, well, I'll take them. <laughs> Luke, what are you doing? Selling shoes, man. You work on commission, you go the extra mile. And that, my friend, is the extra mile. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, oh, your son is very nice. <laughs> yeah, she must have been something 1,500 years ago. 
Well, so I mean, yeah. so how was like you know uh, before she was Mrs. Costanza, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Well, you these things you just you know I don't remember them per se, like a, a moment that I go that stood out. Like the Jerry Hall thing was just so funny to me with the Mick Jagger. That was just hilarious. But you know there were other ones that were you know there were moments that were just. Uh, I mean, I ended up dating a couple of the women who came through and I met on the show. So they had a lot of actresses around the show. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's amazing how small the world is sometimes. So Ed O'Neill said in an interview once, and this was an outtake slash Easter egg from the 2003 reunion special. By the way, Luke Ventura, who we know, th that actor is a very nice, yeah. you know, yeah. rich. good, rich, rich, good actor, Shiner. good stand-up yeah. guy. He had one of the funniest lines, I think, in the whole that I can remember of all the shows when, when in that show, the stewardess show, when he let me stay with them uh, because I was having on the outs with Peg and I said, would you do that for me? Because you know, he worked with me at the shoe store and he said, Al, the day Luke Ventura can't do something for a friend, that's the day he's got something better to do. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of a Ronald Michael that. thing, you know? so great about it. <laughs> and he, he said that was his favorite line in the whole series. What do you think about that? Well, I know. Do you know, like, when you got to, you're doing it, the line, and you're doing it like at the table read, it got a big laugh. It's just a great line, right? Mm -hmm. It's a great line. It got a laugh every time rehearsal. Then we go to shoot it. Ed can't stop breaking up. He just, he truly, you know, I do remember that. I remember that line was so good. I mean, it, if it hadn't been for his damn wig at the end, I might have had the best laugh in the in the show. <laughs> but you can't beat the wig, man. You can't beat the yeah. wig. Yeah, that was a great close. That was a great line, though. I mean, that's when I think of Luke Ventura, I think of everyone comes to the answer, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there were some things. Look, there were some things that were, you know, they had like me putting a mirror on the bottom of my shoe, you know. The, uh, on the front of my shoe, they they had some ideas. You go like, I don't know if this is uh, is it, it, it wouldn't fly by today's standards. I know that. I mean, right. the, some of the things that I was I was doing to look up women's dresses and stuff. That character was out of control. Yeah, they were also battling to get attention. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we spend a great deal of time talking about that. A lot of the things that that was on this show and a lot of other shows in the. 80s and 90s might not fly today <laughs> the culture changes comedy changes always it's always been that way yeah definitely rich the the cast of the show clearly liked you and, and in 1988 ed and katie hosted uh something called an evening at the improv with al and peg bundy and you did stand up for that uh do you do you remember that i sure do Our next comedian is an improv favorite. He's a regular visitor to both The Tonight Show and Late Night with David Letterman. He also has appeared in hit movies Roxanne and Beverly Hills Cop 2. And he has worked on our show, Married with Children. He's, uh, he's Mark Anderson's favorite comedian, and he's a good friend of Katie and mine. Please welcome Rich Scheidner, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Ed. Might be a man down there. Might be 
You stopped so quickly. I just love the way it was, they're so trained now. It's like, ah! Do the jokes, we're ready now. It's great one of them. I broke my foot for those of you who are really quick and I'll throw it up there for you. That's a real cast. It's like, uh, I broke it. It's all right, it's all right. I broke it in a motorcycle accident. Yeah. Now everybody starts thinking of your stories. Well, I know a guy who also, uh, uh, <laughs> unbelievable. I've had other broken bones. I had a, uh, I had a compound fracture once. You know what a compound fracture is? That's where the bone sticks through the skin. See, a lot of times you hurt yourself, you're not sure whether they broke anything or not. But I can tell you something right now. When you see your bone popping through the skin, you don't need x-rays on this one. Well, I'm gonna save $100 right there. I had broken my foot in Atlanta like a week or so before that. I, I was dancing in a club, jumped off a speaker or something, broke my foot, and then my personally administered anesthetics wore off about four in the morning. Ouch. You know, oh, and uh, so this woman drove me to a place and it was, uh, yeah, I x-rayed my foot. Yeah, you got a broken foot. And, uh, and I did it, I performed with a cast and then I had to go do that show with a cast on. Again, by then, you know, I knew I was no longer on the show, but I, they're, they're just good people. You know, you'd like performing with them. It was just a fun night doing the show with them. And of course they were doing it to try to get publicity for the show. Yeah. I did about a, a, a dozen of those evening at the improvs. They were on A&E, arts and entertainment cable, basic cable. Sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> and it sounds like you were a trooper to, to do it with a broken foot too. Oh, uh, yeah, because because I wanted to get paid. You know, that's the thing about showbiz. <laughs> no show, no pay. I mean, there's, this, right. there's a reason why the show must go on, because if it doesn't, you don't get paid. Right. So one question we usually get from our people who listen to our podcast, do you keep in touch with anyone from the show? Like, you know, that you kept in touch after you've done that, even though it's been so long? No, I I, I lost touch with, with Ed O'Neill probably um, – Oh man, it's been a while. He was at my second wedding, so uh, I haven't seen him since then. Probably, although well, I follow him. I mean, obviously, Modern Family, and I, I just love his success and happy to see him on TV. But no, and I and I don't see anybody else. And David Faustino, I saw a couple times. He had a pilot he was trying to do, and I went and read for that. Read with you know just a read it, pilot reading. I wasn't reading for a role in particular, just to help the thing. He asked me if I'd come read. And, um, yeah, that's it. I don't, I don't really, you know, I did a, a podcast with him. It was his podcast, I think, or, or Bruce Fines and David was on with me. I don't know, but that's about that. That's it. Right. Now, one question that we have, we are just kicking off our 11th season, and this is probably going to be the first episode of our 11th season. Did you watch Married with Children after you left the show? And if so, what are your thoughts on how it developed? Because, the show at its end, and you know, this is what we're talking about. Season 11 is radically, radically different than it was in season one. And uh, what are your thoughts on the comedy style of the show in general from, like, from your time there? Like, what did you think of it when you were reading it? Again, you know, comedy moves with society. So you're talking about how many seasons and, what, and years and years passed. So the comedy that was, that they were, they were cutting edge and obviously against the grain with what they were doing in 86, 87, 
but 13 years later, not so much. So things have changed. So the style will change. People will, will, you can't stay on that long without adjusting somewhat. Now, obviously you can't become something totally different, but I watched it here and there and I watched a few times and my friend, Sam Kennison, I remember I went with him when he did the show and, uh, which originally Sam Kennison and Roseanne were considered to be the, the, the couple, you know, they had considered them. Of course, they'd been considered as a couple for a lot of different shows, but I think even when married with children, they, somebody had suggested them as the, as the couple, but I would go to see, I'd think about maybe three, four times I went to see the show being taped and uh, I always enjoyed the show. And, and from time to time, I still watched it. It didn't bother me that I wasn't on the show. I just liked the show. And I, I think it's just because I like the people who are on the show so much. I liked Ed and Katie a lot. I like Amanda. I like the people who are on the show. I like them. So, so let me just make sure I understood. You, you came to uh, the, you sat in the studio audience during tapings of of the show uh, uh, after you left. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's pretty cool. Did I mean? Did any of the audience members recognize you? Be like, no, no, I don't think so. I don't. No, I don't think so. I mean, the show. They might have seen me in reruns, but you got to remember, I'm on the first two shows. Nobody saw those shows. Yeah. Now, once they got into syndication, people started watching them. Yeah, but nobody saw those original shows. You know, they, it became a hit later, and I, I think I know it was it was doing well when that woman started to protest it. But my again, my sense of that that protest did nothing but help it. You know, her going, "That's a raunchy show," and people were like, "Really? What channel is that on again?" <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, Rich, if, if it makes you feel any better, I was just a few months shy of nine years old, and I watched the Fox premiere, and I've watched it religiously for all 10 years. Well, you're degenerate. You were a degenerate nine-year-old then. That's all I can say. I was a very degenerate nine-year-old, <laughs> and, and I loved it. And, you know, and uh, even to this day, like, you know, your episodes always, like, uh, stick out to me because, you know, as I said, you're the OG, you know, the original gangster uh, <laughs> in, in that shoe store. I mean, I think even at nine years old, it's like, I want to be that guy when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when – I mean, they, they dressed me like a shoe salesman, right? And and I remember I remember this when I did that last episode. I mean, they probably knew they probably knew that this was it. And I remember the wardrobe person saying, "You know, do you want any of these jackets? Would you like these?" You know, they would. They would. I don't know if they were going to charge me or whatever. And I'm like, "Oh, you kidding me? They want to walk around dressed like Luke Ventura on the street?" <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, man. I mean, your character. You know. You're part of the Married with Children fandom and uh, family, though. I mean, you know, e even though you were only in four episodes very early in the series, you could say, well, that first season set the foundation for for the show's success, and you're a huge part of that. So, look, it was a it was a thrill for me. It was the first time I was ever cast in anything. I didn't I didn't go into show business like to be a star, and I, I got in there because I got seduced by the laughter and live comedy shows and doing stand up comedy. And then out of that, I ended up going to some places I never expected to go. And it was it was scary, it's thrilling. Look, I, I'll tell you another story. So when we did the pilot, I was nervous. I was so nervous. Personally, I'd been sober about a year. I'd quit drinking and, and doing drugs in 85. So I was only, when we did the pilot, I think it was, was it December of 86 or 80? Well, I can't remember exactly when it was. But I'd been sober about a year, year and a half. And I was nervous. I was chain smoking and I was drinking a lot of Diet Cokes and I was probably bug eyed, you know, I mean, just nervous about never done a, a television taping of a sitcom. 
I'd done stand-up comedy, but I was comfortable with that. So when we came back, Michael and Ron came up to me, and Michael was leading the charge on this. They said, we think that you were doing cocaine during the taping. Like, they accused me of being on drugs during the taping. I said, no, man. I mean, I got to tell you, I was really offended. I said, no, man. I mean, believe me, if I was doing cocaine, I wouldn't even have been here. Trust me, I wouldn't have been here. You know, I would have been someplace else. But no, I was sober. They they'd found a bunch of snow seals. You know what they were? They were little cocaine packets back in the day. They found a bunch of snow seals in the bathroom. So they were, you know, probably just round up the usual suspects. He looked like he was high. Maybe it was him referring to me. It turned out to be one of the um, hair and makeup people. Eventually they, they found out one of the hair and makeup people was heavily addicted to cocaine, but they came and accused me. So you, you, you're nervous. I mean, I think everybody is a little heightened about when you're doing these shows and it's, it's exciting. It's exciting and, and scary and all those things that it's an adventure. And that's what it was an adventure for everybody involved with it. And I was really f- thrilled to be part of that adventure, especially early, especially when the show had stick, stuck around that much and became that popular. No, Nobody knew that when we first started doing this little show. We're, we're on a network that's, they had Sunday night. You remember this? They had Sunday night. That was it. It was right. like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. They had Sunday night. There were four shows on Sunday night. That was it. And then, But this show got me then there was another show called uh, Sunday Funnies that Fox did, where they did a primetime stand-up comedy show on Fox. And I did four of those because they saw me and liked me from Married with Children. So it sort of gave me exposure to those people. So, I, you know, it was all good for me. That's awesome. I know it's been a long time, but, you know, if, if you're ever flipping through the channels, do you ever watch the episodes you were uh, you were in on, on Married with Children, if you see it on TV? And also I'll ask... Uh, has anyone ever recognized you out on the street as your character of Luke, either today or, or in the past? In the past, but it was mostly at comedy clubs. They uh-huh. come in and see me do comedy. They say, hey, I saw you on Married with Children. Around the country, that happened. It happened at, um, at the Improv in Los Angeles. So, yeah, that was kind of interesting. That, that, that first little time that somebody just seen me doing something where you don't, you're not sure who's watching or who's not watching or anybody's watching. And, and remembers you. So that was kind of nice. I felt like that was great. And in terms of my episodes, I don't have them on tape. <laughs> I went through a divorce after, after that show. A lot of things get thrown out, tapes right. or whatever. <laughs> and so I don't have any of those tapes. I've never watched them. Again, I remember the Cherry Sister episodes because so many people have sent me clips or pictures from that or talked about it with other people that's like a episode that people have talked to me about so the other ones i don't really remember that well although i remember the again the pilot then the reshoot with the new kids yeah but now i can't say oh yeah i've watched myself a lot. I, i'm not one of those people that like to watch myself perform anyway <laughs> yeah you know i find that with a lot of um, actors and actresses i talk to you know i ask them oh oh and and like i ask them a, you know a specific question about a scene or whatever and it's like I find out that, that I know the scene better than them because they haven't watched it in 20 years, you know? <laughs> no, no, you're, you're moving on, you're doing other things, and it's just, plus I, I just don't find myself, you know, I don't, I don't like watching myself. I Believe me, I've met people who do. I've met, I remember once with this actor watching, and he was, it was a sitcom, and he was getting laughs at a sitcom, but he was laughing harder at home than the people in the audience were. I'm like, 
How can you find yourself that funny? You know what you said. It's not like the joke is fresh to you or anything. It's kind of a weird psychotic thing to me, but <laughs> some people do enjoy watching themselves and laughing at what they've done on TV. He he was tooting his own horn, huh? I call that. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, but I'm going like, but you know the jokes. It's, you can't sit here and be laughing seriously, laughing. <laughs> Do you think there was any aspect of Rich that was written into the character of Luke, or no? <laughs> well, I don't think they really studied me that much, like I said. But there were some things that that definitely fit for me. I mean, I had that. I was single when I did the role. So, um, yeah, there was some aspects of me then in Hollywood doing stand-up comedy and performing. And um, there were some aspects of that. And I think, Luke, you know, what what they were talking about, the character being this sort of like this bit of a self-centered con man almost. Uh, There's a little bit of me in that, that, especially back then. Yeah. Hey, Al, you know, there's something I've learned over the years. Whenever someone yells at me, it's not me. How could it be? So what's wrong? I had a fight with my wife. I knew it wasn't me. (laughs) How bad was it? I got pretty mad. So I laid down the law. I told her I'm not coming home. So, uh, where can I get some flowers cheap? (laughs) But you said you weren't going home. Well, let's face it, I've got no choice. I have to. It's a trouble when you're married with children. They know you're coming home. <laughs> Al. What? What do you think I should have for lunch? <laughs> hey, I'm pouring out my heart here. I'm sorry, I thought you were done. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not at all. I gotta find a place to stay. I can't afford a hotel. If I go home, then I'm saying I'm sorry, so I can't go home. I gotta. Make her wonder, make her worry, make her miss me. Then I can go home so she can yell at me. Where am I going to stay? Everybody comes to the answer, man. (laughs) Choice is obvious, Al. You set up a cot in the stock room. I'm staying with you, Luke. For free? Yes. (laughs) You know, I haven't done something like this in a long time. Yeah, kick back with a buddy and a six-pack and be men. You know, Luke, I... This has really helped me out. Thanks a lot. Hey, the day Luke Ventura can't help a friend, that's the day he's got something better to do. Since you were a writer, right, I guess at this point you were writing, did you interact much with the writing staff? Not at all. I mean, I got the script and I did what was, maybe if, if I suggested something here or there, they might humor me and say, ah, oh, that's good, thanks a lot. And then I don't remember me putting any lines into it or whatever. I was there to be an actor and I enjoyed that part of it. I mean, I was felt like I was getting better at it all the time. You know, it was, I was getting more confident and I was getting a lot of support from, especially Ed, like I said, he's, I can't say enough about the guy. He was so supportive and, and you know, had my back and, and, and gave me a lot of confidence in what I was doing. And I was not a veteran actor when we came to this. Yeah. Okay. That, that's good to hear. It's it's always good to hear, or it, it's interesting to hear, you know, behind the scenes stuff. You know, who was who was supportive, who was friends, who who didn't get along, things like that. That's always good to hear, though. Yeah, I don't I don't remember I don't like I said I don't remember people not getting along. I don't, I don't remember that. 
But I remember the people who, again, you remember the people who were good to you or supportive. You remember the, 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 the that camaraderie, you know, or whatever. Yeah, it's good. I remember Amanda comes up and and the, the, <laughs> the first time we worked on the set, when Amanda comes up and goes, you know, we dated the same woman back in New York. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> That's funny. I'm like, oh, she said her name. I said, oh, yeah, at the same time. She goes, yeah, at the same time. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, and uh, actually, our founder Alex did interview Amanda. I obviously, we asked that question, but that's great. <laughs> so, here's a question for you. Now, we've asked this uh, for all the characters that we've interviewed thus far. So, if Luke was a real person, all right. So, just use your imagination. Where do you think he would be today? You know, if he was still, you know, I mean, again, now in season nine, we knew that he was still selling shoes. He was shoe salesman of the of the year. So, what do you think he'd still be? You know, running a con or something like that? Yeah, he'd be doing Bitcoins. He'd be he'd definitely be into that. He'd be definitely into Bitcoins and probably selling solar panels. He would probably be. <laughs> That's funny. I, I figured you'd say Luke would be like running a, a shoe podcast, a women's shoe podcast and hooking up with the listeners or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, for Luke, it was, the, it was the thrill of the sale, putting one over on somebody, getting them to buy something they didn't <laughs> intend to buy. So, you know... He's 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 in Seattle going solar panels is it man it's cloudy now but I'm telling you this climate change you're not gonna have any clouds in a while and you're gonna need the solar panels you know <laughs> oh that's great you know I, I think you're gonna get a lot of laughs from our audience uh, because you know this is the kind of stuff they would want to know like of that you know what is that character doing today you know after 35 <laughs> no. years. For him, it was the thrill of the, like you said, the con of, of like getting over, like the sale. You talk to most salespeople, it's like the, th- it's like that's what it's the thrill of the sale. It's like a sporting event. That's what I loved about stand up. And stand up's not like theater. There's no, you can't review a stand up show without saying they got big laughs or they got no laughs. That's the, it's a sporting event. You know, what's the score? You told fifty jokes. Did, did did fifty-five of them land? Did you score with fifty-five? You know, it's a it's a there's a score there. And with guys like Luke Ventura, it's about the sale. It's about getting over, getting somebody didn't they came in that they're that you could tell they're not looking, they're just kicking tires and they walk out with a contract. That's what he's thrilled about. Awesome. Tell us about some of your other work outside of Married with Children. And, and I'll note here that you've been a writer for some of the biggest names in comedy and an author of two books, as we've mentioned. Do you have any more in the works? I wrote a, a screenplay about the first stand-up comic named Artemis Ward. There was an actual stand-up comic back. They started in the Civil War, American Civil War. That's when the art form actually began with this guy, Artemis Ward. So I wrote a screenplay about him. I'm going to write a book about probably the history of stand-up comedy. And I have a lot of things I want to write. I just love writing. Yeah, I did write for a lot of different... I wrote Roseanne was the first sitcom that I was part of the staff I wrote on. And then I wrote for different shows. Like you mentioned, um, it was a thrill, Minded and Married Man, HBO. There are different shows I wrote for. And it was fun. I mean, I, I liked it, but it's, it's nothing like the juice of a live show, obviously. But right. it is interesting. You wrote for other comedians. I, when I wrote for other comedians, to see them go on stage and get a laugh with something that I'd written, it's fun. I mean, it's really fun. And some people you can, obviously, Jeff Foxworthy, I wrote for Jeff. He's a voice that's easy for me to do. We're both kind of straight white males, to be honest. And so 
He was married, I was married. It was easy to write jokes that, that would work for him. It's interesting to watch him take a joke that I would write and then put it into his voice. You know, I got this fast Jersey mush mouth kind of thing and he's got this different timing, pace, Southern draw and to put it into his vernacular. It's fun to watch somebody work it up because any comic knows it doesn't matter if they, what, how good the joke is, they have to put it into their language. Right. Well, you know, Jeff Foxworthy, his biggest thing that's brought him fame is the, you might be a redneck jokes. Did you write those? No, no, I wrote a couple. Oh, okay. Like, everybody wrote a couple. Did you guys write a couple? Everybody in America ended up writing a couple. That, <laughs> that is, that, that by the way, he changed the structure of a joke. He put the punchline first and the setup second. That is, he doesn't get enough credit for the genius of that. That is like, if you ever were in school, remember the theorems? If this is true, then that must be true, right? And right. that's what he, that's the formula that he used in comedy. So here's one of the ones I wrote for Jeff. If your working TV sits on top of your non-working TV, <laughs> you might be a redneck. Right. That's a good one. Yeah, those are, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I live in Texas, by the way. So, you know, Jeff Foxworthy is very popular in the South. So <laughs> I toured with Jeff when I was writing for him and I, and he's a great guy. And also it's funny because there's redneck aspect, you know, it has that negative connotation sometimes, but Jeff aptly described it as a glorious lack of sophistication, an utter lack of sophistication. And so that is all over the country. Once you got outside of any city, you were into Jeff, Foxworthy territory. I remember we went up to do the the New York State Fair. Now you would think New York State Fair. I think the fair was like forty miles outside of New York City, and you're going like, this is going to be not his crowd. They were totally his crowd because once you get outside of any city, then you're into like what he's talking about. Right. And, and you're totally right, by the way, when you said that everybody in America wrote one of those jokes. <laughs> I didn't even think about it from that perspective. Yeah. That's totally right. How many other uh, everybody used that form? I mean, you go like, you might be an airline pilot if, right? Right. Or you might. It was totally there was there was a there was a black comedian who came out with a book. It was like you might be ghetto if. Yeah. And it was just the same sort of form that Jeff had established. He did so much work on that to get that book out there. He used to. He told me in the morning he'd get up at like four o'clock morning, start calling radio shows, and his wife. Greg would just, you know, feed him coffee and cigarettes and he'd be on one show after another, pushing that book, doing those jokes, mm -hmm. getting it out there. You know, he built it. He built that whole franchise. It's amazing. Yep. Yep, definitely. Hey, so what was it like working on Roseanne, uh, you know, writing for Roseanne, by the way? Because I think that's, you know, I think pretty much everyone's watched at least an episode or two of that. Well, I, I don't think that, I think there was pretty much, you know, Roseanne, gave so many comics from my generation that she knew jobs, starting jobs in, in writing. She liked having people who were former stand-ups around if she knew them. It was a big staff. I think at one point it was like 22, 23 people on the staff. Mm -hmm. I mean, today sitcoms may have four or five people on the staff. It was a big staff. You'd go into a room that you were with five other stand-up comics and just punching jokes, just trying to do different versions of the lines that make give them alternatives when you go on the set and if a joke doesn't work then they bring out this big book 
that's got all these alternative jokes in it for that line. And they try them in front of a live audience or they make a choice. I never was confused about any of these shows who was the star. I worked on the Jeff Foxworthy show. I worked on the Roseanne show. There's no question whose show it is. You're right trying to write for the voice. Look, Roseanne is was smart and was funny and had this brilliant character and obviously spoke to people in the country in a way that nobody had for a long time. Again, when you talk about a, a breakthrough character and a, and a role that was just, it was her show. So I loved because all these comics, I knew all these comics on the show, Bob Nickman, Alan Steven, Lois Bromfield, I mean, Kathy Labman. I knew so many of the writers that we came in together writing on that show, plus the ones that were there ahead of me. There were other comics. So it was fun for me. It was it was good. And then, uh, but I knew the show was ending. And so one day I was walking on the lot and Jeff Fox already drove by. And he goes, hey, I didn't know you were here. I said, yeah. He said, listen, my show's moving over from M NBC to ABC or ABC to NBC. I can't which what moved from one network to another. I want you to come write for me next year. I was like, great. So I just moved from Roseanne over to Jeff Foxworth and wrote for him for two years. That's great. Yeah. Now you've had a successful long running career. I mean, I mean, and you, like you said at the beginning, you sort of paid the bills, right? <laughs> Raised family, right? It's, it's a bizarre thing to look, you look around the house, you go to that television set, I paid for with jokes. It's a bizarre thing. Was there any particular project or projects that were your favorite? Like, I mean, it could be married with children, it could be anything. Like what was like, if, if you had to say, it's like the, the thing that I did, that's my most favorite of all. I have to say, I did the movie Roxanne with Steve Martin. Now there were, it was a scene at the beginning of the movie that, that um, Kevin Nealon and I play, I think I was drunk number one or he was drunk number one. One of us was drunk number one, the other was drunk number two. But we get in a fight with Steve Martin. We've got ski poles. There's no explanation why we're walking dressed in tennis outfits with ski poles. <laughs> in the summer and and we end up having a sort of a sword fight with him and he's got a tennis racket and of course he beats us up Trace, that's the biggest look don't say it quite a hood ornament you got there pal <laughs> <laughs> well, here it comes uh -huh. 3d coming at you <laughs> i really admire your shoes what? I love your shoes. <laughs> what do you mean? And I was just thinking that as much as I really admire your shoes, and as much as I'd love to have a pair just like them, I really wouldn't want to be in your shoes at this particular time and place. Ow. <laughs> I don't really know karate. I didn't think so. Oh, damn it! Get up! Son of Oh, it's blood. Oh, fault. Hello. Oh. 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 
Okay, that's the way you want to play? You broke my nose! But we were there for six weeks to do this one scene, and then I came back with a reaction shot in the bar. So I got a chance to hang out with Steve Martin, who, when I started out, I mean, I remember once watching him, I was at the Capitol Center in, in Landover, Maryland, was outside of Washington, D.C., like about 13,000 people in there at a comedy concert. It was, he was a rock star. He was a rock star of our generation. This is back in the, you know, 78, 79. And here I am on a, on a movie set doing this movie with him and hanging out. And so I don't know if you know the movie or not, but there's a scene at the end of the movie where he's in a bar and this guy sort of heckles him about his nose in this bar. And Steve Martin rattles off about 20 jokes off of that, right? Self-put downs. So I'm uh, going to be a reaction shot because he beat me up in the beginning of the movie in the in the back of the bar when this guy heckles Steve Martin, they do a cut away to me and I'm going, no, don't do it. Don't do it. It'll kick your butt. Right. And so that's my little role. But here's what personally for me was, like I said, 10 years before I'm part of a crowd watching Steve Martin destroy 13,000 people. I mean, a laugh tornado in this Capitol center. The night before we shoot this scene, Steve Martin says, would you come to my room and go over these jokes with me, help me punch them up so that they're good for the script tomorrow. I just want to have somebody there go over with me one time, like a last minute rewrite. Now I'm going up to his hotel room and I'm writing with Steve Martin. Hey, where are you going, big nose? <laughs> Pardon me? You heard me, big nose. Is that it? Yeah. Well, you really got me on that one, didn't you? <laughs> oh, wait a second. God, what a waste of an opportunity. What? Well, I mean, you've got someone standing in front of you with uh, this, and all you can think up is big nose. I suppose you could think of something better. Yeah, I think I could think up something better. Come here. It's dark. Whatever number you hit, that's how many I'll think of. 20. Two out of three. Two out of three. Twenty. Darts champion, Denver, 1987. Come on, Charlie, you can do it. All right. All right, 20-something better. So uh, here goes. Uh, start with... Uh, Obvious. Excuse me, is that your nose or did a bus park on your face? <laughs> Meteorological. Everybody take cover. She's going to blow. <laughs> Fashionable. You know, you could de-emphasize your nose if you wore something larger, like Wyoming. <laughs> Personal. Well, here we are. Just the three of us. Punctual. All right, Delman, your nose was on time, but you were 15 minutes late. Envious. Oh, I wish I were you. Gosh, to be able to smell your own ear. Naughty. Uh, pardon me, sir. Some of the ladies have asked if you wouldn't mind putting that thing away. Philosophical. You know, it's not the size of a nose that's important. It's what's in it that matters. Humorous. 
Laugh and the world laughs with you. Sneeze and it's goodbye, Seattle. <laughs> Commercial. Ah, I'm Earl Shab and I can paint that nose for $39.95. <laughs> Polite. Uh, would you mind not bobbing your head? The uh, orchestra keeps changing tempo. <laughs> Polite. Everybody. He's got the whole world in his nose. Sympathetic. Oh, what happened? Did your parents lose a bet with God? <laughs> Complimentary. You must love the little birdies to give them this to perch on. <laughs> Scientific. Say, does that thing there influence the tides? <laughs> Obscure. Whew. I'd hate to see the grindstone. Well, think about it. <laughs> Inquiries. When you stop and smell the flowers, are they afraid? French. Say, you see, pigs have refused to find any more truffles until you leave. Pornographic. Finally, a man can satisfy two women at once. How many is that? Fourteen, chief! Religious. The Lord giveth, and he just kept on giving, didn't he? <laughs> Disgusting. Say, who mows your nose hair? Sixteen. Uh, paranoid. Keep that guy away from my cocaine. Aromatic. It must be wonderful to wake up in the morning and smell the coffee in Brazil. Appreciative. Ooh, how original. Most people just have their teeth capped. never saw that coming. You never could have convinced me it was possible when I was standing in that crowd 10 years before. I never knew I was going to do stand-up comedy, and I certainly didn't know that I'd be in a movie with Steve Martin and helping him rewrite jokes for a scene. Wow. You don't see that coming. That's a beautiful story, really. And, I, and I'll tell you something else. Outside of that, at the end of the night, he gave me a quite substantial tip. Nice. Okay, it was like, thanks a lot. He palms, like, like it was like out of a movie. I'm like, I put it, I put pocket up, get out. Oh my God, I can't believe how much cash the guy just gave me. And I would, I would, I would have done it. I would have paid him to do it. Right. That's awesome. He, he was, he's another one of those guys. Where sometimes you meet your heroes, you meet these people, and you go, wow, as good as I could have imagined. Yeah, that's great. So you know, to our fans, Rich, like, where can people find you and find your books? My books are on Amazon. Kicking Through the Ashes is available on Amazon. I Killed is available also on Amazon as an ebook now. I don't know if there's, there may be some used hard copies out there now. And uh, me, you know, I'm around on social media, Facebook, richscheidner.com is my website. 
I'm around. You're easy to spot me. If, if you're at Rocky's Fried Chicken Joint here in Fairview, North Carolina, I'm there like every other day. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I was able to find you on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think you've posted on IG in like five years, it looks like. <laughs> My son set that up, and I haven't gone back because he – he told me, don't go there, Dad. I, I'm on I'm on Instagram. Stay away. So he set up the account and he told me not to go. Okay. I was like, yeah, the last post was five years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was like, he set it up. And he goes, don't go on there, Dad. So I, it's like, you don't have to tell me. You know, <laughs> social media is, uh, you know, the, it's maybe one of the worst things. I think it's going to be worse to the human race than climate change at the end of it. When they, when they final analysis, social media might be the worst thing ever. Gotcha. Yeah. It, <laughs> It, it has its good and its bad, that's for sure. And it, it feels like sometimes it feels like the bad outweighs the good. One thing that humans don't need is more self-centeredness, more self-attention. You know, yeah. everybody out there thinks to run their own broadcast network now. That's not good. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think you're right there. That's for sure. So, uh, what have you been up to in recent years? I mean, uh, how was the COVID lockdown period for you in terms of your career? My wife and I got locked down in COVID and couldn't have been happier. We're like, this is all right. We're all right. We said, hey, look, I'm going to be 70 in December, man. So, you know, I've still enjoyed doing stand-up. Somebody said, when are you going to retire? I go, retire from what? I'm not even working. <laughs> you know, comics have been the same. I'll stop working when they stop asking me to go on stage and giving me money to do it or, or do it for free or whatever. I mean, I, I like doing it. I like writing, so I continue to do that. I don't have hobbies per se. I don't have, like, golf is not my thing. Or I don't have hobbies, so I I love being creative in some way or another, and I keep trying to do that. I had a show that I'm doing about the history of stand-up comedy, so I, I enjoy doing that show. So, I don't know. I, I find things to do to keep myself occupied, keep myself distracted from impending death. That's what I'm doing. That's a great way to think about it. I mean, that's a... <laughs> You guys, you guys went, you guys went completely radio silent. Oh, was he serious? I mean, that's all any of us are doing, just distracting ourselves from our own mortality. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Right. Yeah. You're, you're correct. And, and things change all the time. You know, uh, we, we spoke about our, our, uh, our founder, Alex, a, a couple times earlier. And, you know, you were talking about social media. And one of the things he says often that, that I always crack up is he's like, I'm so glad I'll be dead in 40 years. <laughs> My parents are 89 and 90. They're like, we're leaving. We're very happy to leave. We don't want to. Be, we don't want to see what's coming next for this place. <laughs> you get the point where you know. Look, at some point you go. There was something on. We were watching the NBA Finals last night. My wife and I, and there was some advertising. You know, like I don't even know what they're advertising. I, it was some sort of product. I don't know what it is. So at some point you just go. That's when you know you're you're really getting old. You don't know what even the products being advertised are. Forget the people on the cover of any magazine. You don't know who they are. And then your next stage is I don't care. <laughs> like we didn't even bother to Google it, find out what it was. We go, we don't care. You know, we 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 have all the products we need. We know what we need to buy. That's why they don't advertise for old people because we go, yeah, we we know what we need. We don't need anything else. That's it. Hell, I'm right there with you, man. When I if I'm trying to watch a YouTube video of married with children or the Simpsons or something. And this, an advertisement for soap or shampoo comes up. I get pissed off. I'm like, damn it. I will never buy that shampoo. <laughs> I will never buy that soap. It's, inter <laughs> yeah. it's interrupting my YouTube video. <laughs> you know what kind of shampoo you use at this point? It's your guy. Right. You know, whatever the wife puts in the ba the bathroom, that's what you're using. You know? Yeah. It's like, well, 
hell, well, me and Luigi both, we're back practically bald, so <laughs> shampoo is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, as a buddy, a buddy of mine's bald. He said, uh, "You know, I've been washing my my hair with a cloth for years." You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! So I I gotta ask. This just popped into my head. H- have you done a show? Have you done a uh, stand up show since the the Chris Rock Will Smith incident, or no? Yeah, I have. Look, first of all, I haven't heard anything, but I gotta believe Will Smith might have been a little. Uh, you know, a little bit uh, uh, buzzed in some like alcohol might have been involved or something. I don't know. But this is the whole thing about comics. The comics are all like worried about being attacked. I said, at some point, you got to understand we work in nightclubs. We work in comedy clubs. Our workplace, right? Our office has a two drink minimum. People yeah. don't drink. There's no, if you were in any other job where there's only one person talking and everybody else is drinking, come on. It's only it's inevitable somebody's going to yell something out or do something. That's all. Yeah, I was just curious. You're the first it's first time I've had a chance to talk to a comedian since that 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 was the thing that concerned me is just the safety for for the the person on stage now. I, look, I've had a fist fight on stage. A, a come someone came out of the audience and attacked me on stage. I had a fist fight with someone on stage. A guy came at me with a knife. I've had things thrown at me. There was a comic back in like the late 70s in Chicago. God rest his soul. Orlando Reyes was his name. He was shot by a heckler. Shot. The bullet miraculously went in one side of his jaw and out the other, hit nothing vital. He was back on stage in two days. Jesus wow. Christ. Okay. Crazy. So until you get shot, you know, forget it. There's a there's a story. I think it was is either Bob Saget or Dave Coyier. I can't remember who it was, but there was a comedy club up in Alaska for a while, Anchorage, Alaska. And it had, um, uh, it was a strip joint that they were doing comedy in. And these people were bringing guns into the, into the place. I mean, people, there was some gunfire. And somebody shot a couple rounds into the ceiling or something. So the comic comes off to the club owner and says, hey, man, I, I'm not going on stage. Yeah, that guy just shot. It says, are they shooting at you? No. Then go back on stage and do your joke. <laughs> <laughs> Like you said, you don't do the show, you don't get paid, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we've we've worked in bars for years. They serve alcohol. People, I mean, people go out are going to get out of trouble once in a while. You just have to trust the places has got good security or whatever. But I mean, that, that's always been part of it. We we're the only, I guess, art form or whatever where where you have to have the audience reaction. If you don't have the laughter, there's no show. You yeah. have to have audience participation, and they know it unconsciously, if not consciously, they know it, how important they are to this whole thing. And there's only one person talking. As Jerry Seinfeld says, there's only one person talking. You better explain that situation. You better justify that that situation real fast up there. You know, keep them laughing yeah. and distracted. I mean, yeah. Well, hell, you know, uh, Dave Chappelle, uh, he had a guy that ran up on a stage with uh, with a knife. I'm sure you heard about that. Luckily, his uh, security was... Yeah, they had lots of security there, and yeah. it didn't work out too well for the guy. I remember seeing a picture of the guy after the incident. Yeah. It he, looked like he fell down three flights of stairs. I mean, yeah, they was, beat the hell out of he him. He was beat up, you know. Let's be quite... Thankfully, you know, thankfully yeah, for yeah. Chappelle. So, I mean, uh... I don't want anybody to be attacked. I don't want it, But it will happen from time to time, and if, you have to know that. You're you're up there talking. I, I'm... I'm 
I'm always surprised when comics are surprised by hecklers. I mean, again, there's alcohol. We're the only one talking. Somebody's going to go justify why you're the only one talking. You better be quick. You better be funny. And then they're going, okay, keep us laughing. You can keep talking. It's a comedy club. It's not a, it's not a drama club. It's not a, uh, a, a factual club. You know, they're not coming in there to get facts from you. They're coming in there to get laughs. Right. Exactly. Yes. You're exactly right. Okay. So, Rich, I just want to wrap this up. So, l- last two questions for you. Okay. So, first one is like, so what do you think of our podcast in terms of what we're trying to do, sort of telling the married with children's story all these years later and laughing and continuing to laugh? I like the fact you guys are laughing. <laughs> that helps. And I love the fact you guys are so into it. I've never been given such good questions. I mean, you guys really have done your research. You're really getting into it. I like the fact when you go, oh, we never heard that before. I mean, look, it's one of the greatest sitcoms ever. It really is. I mean, especially from that era, you can only you can only be judged like an athlete. You can only be judged by the competition of your era. And it was a great, great sitcom. And I, I love that you guys are paying homage to it, that you, you know, are honoring it. It's fantastic. And final question. So I think you're a little modest in terms of like your four appearances. I mean, I think really the hardcore fans like myself and Chris and our other co-hosts on the podcast, you know, really, I think everyone loves this character because it just really, especially in the first season, like laying the groundwork, like laying the foundation of the, uh, of the show, it, it, your character was the found, you know, was one of those foundational characters that really got the story of Al Bundy out there. So like, what's your, I mean, do you have a message to your fans? I mean, the people who, you know, love this character and, you know, love seeing him up on the screen. I mean, any mess, any message to them? You know, you, <laughs> you broke, you broke through to me at the end there, didn't you? You got me because it's, I'm honored. I'm honored that, uh, you know, it gets, it gets sometimes trite, but look, I was lucky. I was a right guy at the right place. I had those four. It doesn't matter. Four. I had four episodes. I'm not downplaying. That's four more than most people in the United States got on Married with Children. I was really, and it was a fun character. I mean, I was really, every when I got the scripts, I'd see those lines and I'd see what was going on. I, this is a fun character. He's someone memorable. And so, I enjoyed every bit of it. And the fact that people are, look, you never know who's watching. And to hear people laughing, like Ed O'Neill, he loved that line. You know, that you you say something and people are laughing, you're not even around. That's kind of an odd thing for a person who's used to live shows. I'm only used to, they're laughing where I'm in the room doing my thing. But something that has longevity and, I don't know, it's 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 really it's really kind of cool. <laughs> I never thought about it until you asked that question. Yeah, because, you know, Rich, the one thing I'll, t- I'll tell you is, you know, in recent years now with things like YouTube, you know, you won't find a full episode of Married with Children out there, but you'll find clips. And um, Sony right now, they have like these five minute clips of episodes. And huh. you know, when, you, when you go out there and you, you know, watch them, I mean, occasionally you'll find like one of yours. And some of the comments that are there. Now, again, you know, I mean, I gave away my age. I mean, I'll be 44 this year. You know, I was just shot. I was just shy of nine when I started watching the show. I was uh, in the second grade, I guess, or was it second or third grade, all the way, all the way through college, my wow. freshman year of college. I watched wow. it religiously every single week. Wow! And I encounter people who are like twenty-two years old, 
Wow. Who are, are, are like making comments or, or laughing about it. It's like, because now they see it, you know, on, in syndication, you know, it's on anywhere you could find it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are people, we have one listener who is a young female. She's in college in Germany. And wow. uh, she, occasionally, she occasionally, Christine, right, uh, Chris? I mean, she yeah, comments Christine, about oh, yeah. it. I mean, yeah, so she, she she comments about it, and it's like this is like a whole new generation wow. that are enjoying it and they're laughing. And you know, the one consistent comment is, it's like, man, like you know, nobody could do that anymore, but it's so effing funny. All right. I have joke books from like seventeenth, eighteenth century. Okay. And when you get into marriage, when you get into jokes about marriage, they're eternal. I mean, <laughs> you know, the marriage is really, you know, the the, the relationship between men and women. It's the same battle in in the marriage, all the same complaints at all forever, forever. So that aspect of the show, I can understand why that has such legs. I can understand why it's 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 still relevant today to some people and still and still funny. Yeah, I mean one one of your lines is you know Al is actually complaining about uh, something, and you just turn to him and your line is. Well, I can't sympathize. Because, <laughs> <Right? laughs> you know, again, you, you played the exact opposite. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and I'll tell you, like for myself, you know, now as an adult and I was married, I had children, I'm divorced. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, you know, like some of those things, you know, I mean, you're laughing at them as a teenager. And now, like, it hits close to home. And, and like, you have a different uh, appreciation for the joke now when you're hearing it again. Because, you know, now it's that completely different aspect. It's like, wait a minute, I can see myself... Yeah. In that, I, to me, it's the relatability. Abs- look, absolutely. When you look at the classic sitcoms, the honeymooners, married with children, the ones where they, they're married the whole time. So you can get away with so much. You're saying the nastiest things with the other person. When everybody knows you're going to stick with it, you're going to stay in the marriage. The, of course, Levitt did the follow-up show. It's about unhappily ever after, right? Right. right. And they're divorced. Once you're divorced, it's not fun anymore. Divorce is nowhere near as funny as being in an unhappy marriage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head, and and that's the sign of a great – you know, they say the sign of a great show or movie or, or, or video game or what have you is can you pick it up 20, 30 years afterwards and it still be as funny and, and enjoyable as it was the first time. Oh, oh my God. They they could take the, – the, of course, those characters and all, the, the same thing. I mean, they could bring – do a show now with – I mean, obviously, they moved on to such other projects and all, but bring Ed and Katie and everybody back to do a show now where they're the grandparents, right? I mean, well, I don't know if you know this, but th- there's actually a, an animated uh, reboot in in the works. Were you aware of that? No, I didn't. I, I, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Yeah, it's it's so. I guess just to fill you in real quick, they had tried to do a Married with Grandchildren reboot years ago, but the, the, it just never got off the ground for a number of different uh. reasons. But they have an animated reboot that's in the works right now, and Ed O'Neill, Katie Segal, Christina Applegate, and David Faustino are all on board for it. Oh, that's great! So, that's great. So, uh, yeah, we don't we don't know a lot of details, but we do know it's in the works, and so we'll we'll have to wait and see what happens. That's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> we actually had a podcast episode where we we all got together and we talked about like what would we want to see as fans. 
there's a lot of different ways you can go with an animated series. But uh, I hope uh, you get a phone call at some point that it's like, hey, maybe, <laughs> you know the, the resurrection of Luke Ventura. You know, you get to maybe get to have a couple of lines. Uh, well, if he if he's selling solar panels in Seattle, then you know uh, they listen to your show. <laughs> That's fine. Hey man, you should throw your name in the hat. You never know. You know, I, I've, I've been in touch with a couple of the other guest stars that had four or five appearances here and there. And yeah. I know they're they're going to try to throw their name in. You should try to throw your name in the hat. You never know what will happen. Yeah, a l- little bit of beer money, right? <laughs> a little bit of beer money. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rich, so thank you so much again for joining us tonight in the movie bar. And you can visit uh, Rich's website at www.richscheidner.com. That's R-I-T-C-H-S-H-Y-D-N-E-R.com. And... Be sure to jump over to Amazon for his books, I Killed, True Stories of the Road from America's Top Comics, and Kicking Through the Ashes, My Life as a Stand-Up in the 1980s Comedy Boom. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing uh, some of your other written work out there as well. So please uh, keep in touch and let us know. Thanks, Luigi. Thanks, Chris. Take care. So thank you all, and uh, stay tuned for Season 11. As always, same Bundy time, same Bundy channel. Everyone comes to the answer, man.